On today's edition of Across the Cavs, we welcome Ronnie Brewer, eight-year NBA veteran, to the show. His father, Ronnie Brewer Sr., had also an eight-year NBA career, spent two parts of two years in Cleveland with our Cavaliers. So we talked to Ronnie about that, about his basketball upbringing, and about the Santiago Gain shot that made us all cry in 2010. Hope you enjoyed today's episode on the Hoops Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. This is episode 101, season eight, episode nine. Pleasure to be with you on this Monday evening. We are just a couple of days away from the return of Cavs basketball. Saw a great showing from Evan Mobley, helping the team Cavs win Friday night in the Rising Stars Challenges. On Sunday, Darius and Jarrett, part of the fifth straight team LeBron win. Both showing off some solid performances. Jared Allen, a near double-double. Cavs just three days away from coming back. They'll have Lowry Markkinen. We'll get to the team in the second half of the season in the next episode. But for today, honored to introduce today's guest, his father, Ronnie Brewer Sr., played for the Cavs in 81-82 and then retired as a Cavalier in 85-86. This is Ronnie Brewer Jr., eight-year NBA veteran, now working with Arkansas men's basketball. Ronnie, it's a pleasure to bring you on on this Monday night. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Ronnie's had a very impressive basketball career. He's played with some of the best players of the 21st century, whether in OKC and Utah and Chicago. We're going to get to all that. We're going to talk about his father, Ronnie, Ronnie Sr., who had a couple of great years with the Cavs, who's the only Razorback to ever play for the Cavs, but Ronnie, we'll go back to your early years, your childhood years, and uh, tell me, what players did you most look up to, you know, as, as a kid? Well, uh, just being from Fayetteville, Arkansas, the University of Arkansas is here. The Razorbacks were, like, the only show in town. We don't have a professional team in Arkansas. So, you know, growing up, you know, watching Corliss Williamson and Scotty Thurman, uh, Lee Mayberry, Oliver Miller, Todd Day, uh, Sidney Moncrief, obviously played with my dad uh, before I was born, but just watching their highlights and like Joe Klein and Alvin Robertson and Joe Johnson, Gennaro Pargo, uh, some of those guys uh, I grew up watching. And then you have, you know, two NBA greats in uh, Scottie Pippen uh, who went to UCA um, and Derek Fisher who went to Euler. Uh, and, you know, it's just, you know, it's such a small state that anybody and everybody that's from there knows each other, supports each other. Um, and so, you know, I, I was a huge advocate for the Razorbacks, you know, watching them um, because my dad went there, my sister went there, my mom went there, and then I went there. Um, but, you know, Scottie Pippen was one of the guys that I really, really watched growing up because uh, they showed all his games on WGN, which was local TV uh, here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Yeah, and then he ended up playing at Fayetteville High yourself. And, and so even before you get there, uh, maybe it's there, maybe it's later, but Ronnie, at what point, you know, you're watching all these guys, you've seen so many greats from Arkansas. When did you realize that you could be that next that next Arkansas player? We're talking about that next NBA player who started off as a Razorback. Um, just, you know, everybody's goal is to one day be good enough to play for the Razorbacks if you're in state. Uh, but, you know, once I started getting better and growing, uh, I definitely knew that, hey, 
you know, I have the opportunity to try to play at the next level in, at college. And so a lot of other teams uh, kind of caught my eye. And, you know, Arkansas really out-recruited everybody else just because I was a hometown kid. They were able to see my games, able to come to our practice. Uh, I went to all my AAU games. And, um, you know, to me, I just think that they outworked everybody. Not saying that, you know, those other schools would, be, would, would not have been great fits for me. Because, um, you know, I looked at Kansas. I looked at Oklahoma. I looked at Oklahoma State. I looked at North Carolina. Uh, I looked at Florida. Um, you know, UConn. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I think I made the right decision, you know, choosing Arkansas. Absolutely. Had three very good seasons there. Then became the 14th pick by the Jazz, which we'll get to in a moment. But before then, and Ronnie, this is something I didn't know when I did watch the majority of your career. You know, that pretty much lined up with when I first really got into basketball from uh, the 06 time period. But I learned literally just today that the reason for the way your jump shot looked was because of a, <laughs> of a water slide injury as a kid. So can you elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah, it's kind of funny because um like uh it was like in 1995 Arkansas had won the national championship in 94 and they were looking to repeat in 95 and um we're at Beaver Lake at the annual back to school uh picnic per se and there was a huge water slide people were putting soap on the slide so you can go a little bit faster and I was, you know, back then I was, I didn't weigh anything. I was so skinny. <laughs> and so when I was going down the slide, I was going so fast. It was making me like pop every little bump was sending me in the air going. Um, and so I knew I was going way too fast. And at the bottom of the slide, it kind of like shoots through the middle of the lake. And I was like, man, there's no way I could swim back from how far this is going to throw me. Uh, and so I tried to put my arms to slow me down. Uh, and the, at the bottom, there was a pole that was holding up the slide that hit my arm and ended up giving me a compound fracture. You know, I was out for a while. And when I recovered uh, and came out the cast, I couldn't shoot the ball naturally with the your how your elbow starts uh, in an L shape and then it goes straight up. Mine was more out like a chicken wing. It finished the same, but it started different. And so I just tried to, how to make it um, where it was um, habitual um, and, you know, getting the gym to make it where it was consistent and going in, uh, even though it didn't look typically the right way, they usually finished the right way. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, you still you still managed to make 93s on an NBA court, nonetheless, and plenty of others uh, along the way. But yeah, very, you won't see that in too many guys. You always wonder where the shot origin comes. And if you can ask Kevin Martin, you can ask Lonzo Ball, you can ask Josh Childress, but Ronnie Brewer's story obviously is number one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, it, it was just funny because everybody was like, man, he just has an unorthodox shot. And I was like, well, it's not like I intentionally wanted to shoot like that. It's just how my, how my body healed and, you know, I, I still wanted to play basketball, still was um, an advocate of basketball. And, you know, I wanted to play it at a high level. And I knew that, yes, there was going to be critics to, you know, dissect your game because, I, I, you know, you watch it on TV every year when it comes to NBA and NFL combine. Um, and, I, you know, I just had to work at it and work as hard as I possibly can to, to make it um, consistent. And that's what, I, that's what I try to do. And yet 
three very strong years with the Razorbacks. And then we flash ahead a couple of years, 2006, NBA draft, Jazz are on the clock. They select you with the 14th pick. So, Ronnie, when it was announced by David Stern, what's the first thing that went through your mind when your name was called? Man, I was kind of in shock. Um, just being in New York, being in the green room, you've seen it so many people that came before you. Um, and to finally have your name called is very surreal. Uh, I think time stops. You're just filled with so many emotions because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of guys, you know, don't come from wealthy backgrounds. You know, the dynamic of it is making it to the professional league changes the dynamic of your family um, tree um, and the legacy. And knowing I would be able to not only help myself, but help my family and and be an advocate in the community and, and have so many people look up to me from, uh, the city of Fayetteville, um, the state of Arkansas, and and give people from the state, you know, younger student athletes that, you know, any, if you put your mind to it, anything is possible. And, um, you know, I, I hugged my family, walked up there, David Stern, and shook his hand, gave him a hug, and smiled the biggest smile I've ever had because, you know, you know, you know when you're there, you finally made it. And, and, and I don't think the people at home kind of realize that, you know, while you're there, it's a packed out arena. Like there's like fans like that are going crazy in the stands. And once you get there, like the only thought on your mind is please, please, please don't let this crowd boo me. Um, whatever my name is called or whatever team. Uh, and so whenever I got, I got my name called, they, they cheered and it was just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And then your Utah Jazz team, your very first season, incredible year with with Jerry Sloan, went to the Western Conference Finals, ran into a tough team with the Spurs. And two things of note, for relevance as recording on a Cavs platform, you had five future Cavs on your first ever NBA team, or past slash future in the form of Darren Williams, CJ Miles, Matt Harpering, Lou Amundsen, and Carlos Boozer. So love to see that. And secondly, though, You know, from your perspective, you know, you come in, you get to play with Derek Fisher, who you mentioned was a very big Arkansas presence. He was in his 10th year at this point uh, mm-hmm. now now with the Jazz. What was it like? You come into the NBA from Arkansas, you move to Utah, and you have an Arkansas guy like Derek Fisher there with you when you, when you begin. How'd that help? Um, you know, two things, like Coach Sloan and Derek Fisher, those two guys are like the, the – face of what it means to be a pro- true professional um you know, coach Sloan and Derek Fisher basically taught all us young guys what it meant to actually work like to bring your lunch pill to work every day um the way you prepare each and every night for your opponent you know watching film getting with the positional coach um you know to even you know the bus is at five o'clock you know you show up at 4 45 or you're late you know, there's there's a time and place to to to, to be early, and and if this is a business trip, you know, you you got to treat it that way. And just along those lines, you know, the NBA didn't have like a true dress code. Uh, they changed it a little bit, but Utah Jazz went above and beyond. Everybody had to wear like like a suit on the road, like just like the NFL does. Like it's a business trip. Um, even that getting down to, you know, how much you tip a, a waiter or waitress when, when you're out eating because they're doing a, a, a hard job. 
um, and their and customer service. And you know, Derek Fisher bought us all suits, um, the rookies, because we didn't have one, and just to to show us how to be a professional. You know, both those guys, recipes, Coach Sloan, kind of changed the trajectory of of my, my professional career because, you know. Everybody who comes in as a rookie thinks, oh, they're going to come in and be a superstar. But, you know, obviously the special ones are superstars. And, you know, you've got to find your niche um, to try to carve out and, and be in the NBA for a few years. And, you know, playing as long as I did, you know, it was, it was a, I have to tip my cap to Derek Fisher and Jerry Sloan because they really helped me throughout my career. And it's really great to hear that. It does not surprise me about Derek Fisher. Everything you read, everything you see. He's done a great job as well, both as a coach in the WNBA, obviously NBA was a bit tougher. And then as a studio analyst with the Lakers, but we're going to, we're going to fast forward a couple of years ahead in your career to a moment that for me as a Cavs fan and for a lot of others, we don't remember as fondly as you do, but it, it's still, it's a special day. And you can look back now what 12 years later, 12 years and one month uh, to when this happened, but you were playing for the jazz. You did see 29 minutes of action on this night, Ronnie. It was jazz versus Cavs. It was on, I believe TNT. You guys had a 10-day contract signing by the name of Sunday out of Gaines, mm-hmm. a kid from Queens, and then Cavs are up by two, inbound pass, a little spin move, and a three to win it, Sunday out of Gaines. So what, what was it like that night? And would you say that's your favorite memory of a game you played in the NBA against the Cavs? It's one of them. Uh, you know, we, we picked them on a 10-day, had some guys out. Um, you know, he was having a good game, and, you know, just to have him make that shot, um, it was so special to not only the fans, but for Sundiata and our entire team. You know, uh, it's so hard beating LeBron James because he brings so much to the table. He can score the basketball. He rebounds at a high level. He, uh, he sets the table for his teammates. And it's a hard guard to, for, you know, for the entire game. And just to be close in a game like that and then be able to hit a last second shot, you know, it was one of the greatest atmospheres uh, in the NBA um, that I could remember. You know, I I always tell people, you know, the transition from Arkansas to Utah was different and a difficult one uh, just because it's so different. Um, But the one common denominator was, you know, the Razorbacks were the only show in town. The Utah Jazz, we were the only show in town. So when there was a Utah Jazz game, the Utah Jazz fans came out there and supported uh, each and every night to, you know, uh, cheer on the product that we put on the floor. Um, and I think that propelled us a lot to play hard um, each and every night and never have really a, a drop-off. Uh, well, most of the time we had one of the best records in the NBA, uh, home records. But um, that for sure was one of the better games I can remember um, – uh, in environments um, when Sunday out hit the last second buzzer beater. Yeah, I still watch that in, in shock uh, from a Cavs perspective, but incredible shot, incredible play. And it was cool to see him get extra opportunity with the New Jersey Nets before, you know, his time did run out in the league. But Ronnie, we're going to flash ahead one season. You did get traded uh-huh. to Memphis that year. We're going to pass uh-huh. that. Very unfortunate for you because I, I personally thought that you were you would have been a huge piece for them as they know, and I'm sure you got in the conversations. I remember then as you were going to be like that sixth man on a team that had an incredible defense, the grit and grind. But we are going to fa- fa- we're going to pass 
the Grizzlies year because the very next year you're playing regular minutes for Tom Thibodeau in his first year as a head coach with the Chicago mm-hmm. Bulls. And you're sharing some minutes with Derek Rose, who was the MVP that year. It's a season that is still talked about a lot into this day. And so talking about Derek and we, we got him in Cleveland, wasn't his best self yet, but as soon, you know, as he, as he got back with Tibbs, whether in Minnesota, New York, he has become an incredible player again, but on the note of uh, younger D Rose, Ronnie, what was it like to be around him? Because I'm sure his will to win and his drive is second to almost none in that time period. Man, D Rose is great. Um, uh, like I, I replay that season in Chicago so many times because I mean, back to back years, we had a phenomenal record. The first year we thought that we were going to, you know, have opportunity to win it all lost in the conference finals to the heat. They were 62 and 20. And then we came back the next year and won just as many games. Um, and, um, it was just, I don't know. It was just, you know, Tibbs is such a phenomenal coach, prepping defensive assignments, defensive adjustments. Um, and I can see why Tibbs, every stop he goes, he wants Derrick Rose to come with them because he believes in so much that he does and he buys into what Tibbs um, is trying to make happen. If it's in Chicago, Minnesota, New York, he knows that he can be himself because he knows he's got guys like a Derrick Rose or a Lou Aldine or a Taj Gibson or a Joe King Noah that when things get tough, you know, you've got some tough guys in the locker room that know what it takes to be true professional, know what it takes uh, – with a little bit of hard work. And I think that's why Jimmy Butler thrived under tips as well, because he's a hard nosed guy, but D Rose is from Chicago, you know, he kind of put the city on his back and, you know, it just is kind of upsetting to me that the bulls gave up on him so quickly because he would rather have nothing more than bringing a championship to Chicago. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's just so many unfortunate circumstances, you know, for you guys. But it was it was incredible basketball to watch. It was, it was something that you you really you don't see a guy that young in the modern game take what well, you didn't, at least at that point, you hadn't seen it. Took LeBron until his third year to make the playoffs. You had Derrick Rose in his rookie year almost helped an incredible Bulls team pass the Super Celtics. I mean, he, he was incredible in Chicago. And when he scored 50 in Minnesota. I mean, I'm sure, Ronnie, when you saw that, you weren't even surprised that he was able to get back to that level. Say that one more time. It cut out a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. So I was saying, you know, for Derek, when, when he got back and he was able mm-hmm. to score 50 for Minnesota against Utah, yeah. I'm sure you weren't even surprised he was able to get back yeah. to that level. Oh, I wasn't surprised at all. And the, and the thing is, it's unfortunate because, you know, it, it's more prevalent, like, in the media, the fans – like the, the 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 whole quick to judgment, like oh this guy's washed, this guy's washed. He's not gonna be the same. Like Russell Westbrook right now, he's averaging eighteen points, eight rebounds, and eight assists. Like, do you know how hard that is to do in the NBA? Like, that's really really hard to do. But the media is bashing him, the fans are bashing him, and you know that was the same thing with Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose, you know, he he got back from injury, but they were like, oh man, it's Derrick Rose is washed, and you know he's never be the same because his injury. But D Rose, if you look at his numbers, really was very productive. He was very, very productive. And when everybody gave up on him, like he, he, you know, rehabbed and came out and got a 50 ball and 
it was emotional because when like everybody is for you and you're on a pedestal and you're the next big, big thing to everybody alienating you and thinking that you're washed and you'll never be the same to be able to show them like man I still got it and I'm gonna be around this game for a long time it yeah. was very awesome to see very cool indeed and blocked even blocked the game winner on the other end it was a full effort and then here last question on the NBA side then we'll switch things up a bit and obviously you know you you were around as I mentioned in the beginning Ronnie a ton of incredible players and then after Chicago couple years later you spent a little time with the thunder following a stint starting in new york and while you were in okc you know you were there when they had a couple of very incredible players we just talked about russell westbrook who i do agree gets bashed way too much obviously he's not having a perfect season and it's been a tough year in la but definitely way too much blame for him you also were with kevin durant so being around those talented guys of okc you know how, how special was that i know i know you were there very briefly but how'd you enjoy your time with them? And the practices must have been incredible. I mean, it's 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 funny that you said that because we, we just had um after shoot around this evening and dinner, um, Hayes Myers, uh, one of our coaches, was asking that exact question how <laughs> you know the practices were uh with each individual team and you know how it was to be around like you know, Utah, Darren Williams and you know, Booz and Memorial Kerr and Andre Kirilenko and Matt Harping and all those guys, and then going to Memphis briefly with Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph, Woody Gay and Mike Conley and OJ Mayo, and then you know Chicago with Derrick Rose and Luau and Joe Keem and a young Jimmy, uh, Rip Hamilton, um, Taj Gibson, Amira Seek. I mean, you can go down the line of, of guys that I play with. You know, Oklahoma City. You know, Kevin Durant, MVP year, um, uh, Russell Westbrook, you know, you still had Serge, you still had Kevin Martin, you still had all these guys. You did not go to New York. We had the oldest veteran team in NBA history, you know, uh, and Jason Kidd and Amari Stoudemire, Marcus Canby, Kurt Thomas, uh, Steve Doublecheck Novak, um, J.R. Smith, Chris Copeland, uh, Pablo Prigioni, Raymond Felton, uh, James Flight White, myself, uh, yep. Iman Shumpert. I mean, there's a lot of guys, uh, Rashid Wallace, that I learned from. But being in in uh, and then Houston with James Harden and, and Dwight, um, and you know Pat and Chandler Parsons and Jeremy Lin, and you know that that can go on and on. But the best guys that I was around, you could never tell that they were MVPs or superstars on the team. They were so humbled. They put the team first. And they were usually the hardest workers on the team. They're the earliest, leaving the late. And me, I'm, I'm, I'm far from a superstar player. You know, I knew my role. I knew my niche. And so I used to tell myself, like, who am I not to, to work hard? Like, I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas, where people don't make it to the NBA. Like, if I want to stay here a long time, I've got to match their work ethic. I, I can't give them a reason to send me home. And so every time that those people were in there, I was in there too, working my butt off just as hard because, you know, those dudes are superstars. You know, I was just trying to be a glue guy and, and be a role player on, on these NBA teams. And, you know, the practices were great because, you know, the Carmelo Anthony's, the, the Kevin Durant's, the James Harden's, the Russell Westbrook's, Derek Rose's, they brought it 
each and every day um, in practice. And, and that's why they became superstars. Yeah, that's a great list. Really, I like the Chris Copeland shout out of all. He's one of my favorite shooters back in those days. But so many great teammates. He had a really a action-packed eight-year career. So before we talk a little bit about your father and then his time in Cleveland, Ronnie, do you have a favorite game? I know, taking a look, you know, you played in over 500 in the NBA. You started over 300. You went to the playoffs six different times. But is there a favorite game for you personally? Um, I mean, my first game in the NBA uh, was against the Houston Rockets and Yao Ming. And that game was really surreal to me because growing up, uh, Florida was recruiting me out of high school and Mike Miller, Billy Donovan, and Trace McGrady came to watch me play at the in Orlando at the Disney Sports Complex. And uh, I got his autograph, took a picture with him and my whole AU team did. And, you know, for me to play against him in our, my first professional game, having to guard him, being nervous, having somebody I idolize and have posters of him up in my room, being able to get a steal and get my first NBA points on a dunk. Uh, that was That was one of the, games I remember, you know, um, starting my first games, you know, becoming a full-time starter, uh, playing in the, uh, you know, conference finals, you know, in the, you know, West and the East, you know, playing in the rookie sophomore game. I mean, there's a whole bunch of times, times where I was the leading scorer, times where I had double doubles, you know, Times where I had career highs, all all those games are are they're you know very very uh, stuck in your mind because you had success. So yeah, and you you scored nine points. You had two steals, and you were a plus nine in your first game. You guys won by ten. So obviously that that's a perfect way to start. And Tracy McGrady shot eight of twenty four that night. So everything went according to the Brewer and the Sloan scheme. But so we talked about you, talk a little bit about your father. And so, Ronnie, obviously it's very cool. And I'm sure from his perspective uh, for his son to play eight years in the NBA after he himself had a great career. And so he did spend a couple of those with the Cavs. And so being him being the only Razorback to ever play for the Cavs, does he, does he still speak fondly of his days uh, in the wine and gold? Yeah. Um, actually, my older sister was born in, in, in Cleveland. And so, like that—that's very dear to his heart because you know that's that's a memory, you know, and playing for Cleveland, playing for Coach Musselman when he was there, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, obviously, being you know um, going to city to city if you're in the NBA is not uh, something that's um, something that you want to do, but it's part of it's part of the business. And, you know, once you get to a city, uh, the Cavs fans made him feel at home. And so he, he loved the experience and he loved to stop being there.
Yeah, he ended up playing some incredible ball, averaged 19 points a game during his first stint, and then had some good minutes as well in his second during his final year. And so, Ronnie, obviously, you know, we talked about, you know, some of the guys that you watched growing up that were from Arkansas, but what did he teach you about the game growing up that helped you as you went along? Um, my dad basically just taught me the fundamentals and how to play the right way. You know, I, I, I could vividly remember when the N1 mixtape came out and I, I was rushing to the store to, to buy something at the, the, our local mall so I can get the N1 mixtape. My dad was like, hey, that's great and all, you know, out of those guys, only a few, you know, had the opportunity to make it to the NBA. Um, and fundamentally sound basketball and be able to be a two-way player, be able to guard um, multiple positions, be able to, you know, handle the basketball, you know, be able to facilitate, make plays for others, be able to score three levels um, and do that on a consistent basis. Like you, you, you can't be hot and cold. Um, and, and to me, some of the, those are the things that stuck with me. And no matter what, good, bad, or indifferent, my mom and dad are going to be there to support and my brothers and sisters. And, and that's what we are and that's what we're about as a family. So, you know, I knew if I was going to play a game and, you know, my brothers and sisters didn't have a game and I knew my mom and dad and they were going to be there. And so I always look for them and they just told me to go out there and play hard, play smart, play together and have fun. Um, and I try to do that every single time I step on the court. Yeah, and then when you step on the court to play to play your father, who wins these games? Is, is it even? Do you win? Does he have the edge on you? Well, well, for the longest, you know, growing up, my dad was beating me. But, you know, my dad is, is, is about 6'4". And so I had a gro- hit a growth spurt in my 10th grade year and, you know, surpassed him and grew to 6'7". And then my athleticism kicked in. And so it was about that time, you know, where that we, st- we kind of stopped playing basketball because um, – it was so, you know, competitive. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally get that. No, I, I, I've beaten my dad maybe 70%, but not, neither of us are anywhere near the level of the games that you guys are probably having. So very, very different in styles and comparisons and also no dunking. So no, no rim adjusting, none of that. But <laughs> yeah. well, looking at uh, Arkansas a little bit, obviously, you know, for those that don't know, Ron, you are back as of this past summer, are back with the Razorbacks on the staff this year. So how has it been, you know, being a Razorback once again now in 2021-22? Uh, um, you know, it's been a great experience so far. You know, I love working for Coach Musselman. Uh, it's kind of full circle. My dad played for his dad. You know, I work for Coach Mus now. Uh, and to be able to come back and, and work for my alma mater, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm barely removed from being a high school coach, high school teacher, and coaching grassroots basketball on the EYBL. Um, and so I'm very in tune with a lot of players. You know, I feel like I have a, a great eye for, you know, um, locating talent, um, you know, play with a lot of great players. So, you know, what it kind of takes and looks to, to, to be at the next level. Um, and we got a great group of guys, you know, our players really buy into what coach Musk is, is, is trying to get our team to do. We're defending at a high level. Uh, the atmosphere here is bar none, the best in college athletics, you know, people saw our game against Auburn and they saw storm the court 
you know, that's how passionate the Razorback fans are um, here in Razorback Nation. So it's been a dream come true to be able to come back. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, finishing this season strong and making a run in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely, guys. Looking good so far. 21 and 6. Looking for that 22nd win tomorrow. And you have three guys this year, you know, in specific. You know, you take a look at the roster that have really, you, you check the stats, have been very solid. Or more than three, but you know, you take a look at guys. You know, you've had Jalen Williams put up some good numbers. And you got Stanley. You, how does Stanley pronounce his last name? I don't, I don't want to get this one wrong. Amude. Stanley Amude and JD Note. All these guys have played very well. Audis Tony as well. And so you look at some of these guys, and do you see the next NBA Razorbacks on this roster right now? Yeah, uh, I, I think that, you know, people are now starting to peak in and seeing what we have to offer. Uh, I think Stanley uh, has a great back-to-the-basket game, can also face up and, and knock down really tough shots in the, in the low post and mid-range. He's shooting the ball extremely well the last six games from the three-point line, uh, and his athleticism is is very shocking. You, I mean, um, the way that he gets off the, off the floor at a quick pop level is great. I think uh, Adis Tony is a junkyard dog. You know, he, he's he's like a switch army knife. You know, he some games he you know might get you you know 14, 15 rebounds. Another game he might get you twenty points. Uh, in another game he might lock down the best defender and 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 keeping him under uh, a season low in points. So there's a lot of things that he does very very well. Uh, he's got great size can attack and score on three levels, knock down threes, mid-range, and attack on the rim. Um, and if you want a two-way player, that's, you know, that's hard-nosed. You know, he's a guy that you look at. Um, Jalen Williams at, at 6'10", probably the best passer in college basketball, averaging a double-double in SEC play, was, you know, uh, player of the week, uh, co-player of the week announced today. Um, and, you know, one of the best vocal leaders on court. And to me, that's his biggest attribute is, you know, he's, he's a coach on the floor, um, talking on pick and rolls, talking out coverages, calling out the plays that they're going to do really, really benefits our team. uh, And he's been playing really, really well. And then JD Note, to me, he's one of the hardest, toughest shot makers, you know, you know, you might have two or three guys on him. He's still going to rise up and knock down a shot. And, Whenever you have a guy like that, last year his role was coming off the bench. He was six man of the year. Now he's more of a, in a starting role. Um, and we got him at the point guard position. Not really a true point, but you know he does well and facilitates for us. But he's 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 a handful when the ball's in his hand, coming off pick and rolls. You know a team goes under, he's going to knock down the three and score mid range. Can get to the basket, facilitate, and make plays for others. And one of the things that to me is a true testament of him maturing is uh, he's buying into being one of the best defenders in the conference. And that, to me, that's why our defense is the number one in the SEC, and that's why we're winning games like we are. Yeah, I'm very excited, you know, to see them as the regular season winds down. Conference tournaments begin very shortly, and then we got the whole big tournament coming up in a few weeks. And so final question for you here, Ronnie, as as we wrap things up. Uh, All in all, you know, how far do you think this team can go in, in the tournament when it begins in a couple of weeks in March Madness? I mean, to me, you know, March Madness is all about who's playing the best and who's hot. And to me, I don't think there's a, a team hotter than us right now in the country. Uh, a lot of people are 
not giving us a lot of credit just because we don't have a lot of Q1 wins um, or, you know, opponents that we played. But, you know, if you, if you look at our game against Alabama playing on the road, we shot 31%, still had a chance to get a shot off at the buzzer to win the game. That would have gave us 12 games in a row, um, you know, beating the number one Auburn, beating LSU when they were in 12, beating number 16 um, Tennessee. You know, you just don't, have, you know, do that if your team is not that good. So, um, you know, we got to take it game by game. We, we play Florida on the road tomorrow, which is going to be a super tough test. They're, they're just coming off a huge win against Auburn. Um, and we just got to do the things and get back to um, what got us in this position, and that's defending at a high level. And and, and I think, you know, those these next four games, um, hopefully we can go into the SEC tournament and then March Madness um, playing our best basketball. Yeah, 11 out of your last 12 coming into the Florida game and absolutely uh, one to keep an eye on. But, Ronnie, I appreciate you stopping by tonight. Obviously, you're on a road trip, but great to talk basketball with you, reminisce on your career, and learn a little bit more about your father and his time with the Cavs. Well, I appreciate you reaching out, and I appreciate you talking to me. Um, you know, anytime, just let me know. We can get back at it. Absolutely. For Ronnie Brewer, eight-year NBA veteran, now with the Arkansas Razorbacks men's basketball team, I am Zach Weiss, and this has been the latest edition of Across the Cavs. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. So until next time, we will see you later.